Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. This is Howard Johnson, the 1986 World Champion Mets, and you're listening to Sports Talk New York with Mark and AJ on the 365 Sportcast Network. And welcome back to Sports Talk New York on the 365 Sportscast Network. Joining us now is the man who was the face of the New York Mets as he played his entire 14-year Major League Baseball career for the New York Mets. He was a seven-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, a member of the 30-30 Club. He holds the Mets franchise records for most career runs batted in, doubles, total bases, runs scored, walks, sacrifice flies, times on base, extra base hits, and hits. He was named the captain of the New York Mets in 2013, becoming the fourth captain in the team's history. He is one of only three players to have played his entire Major League Baseball career with the Mets. It is an absolute thrill and honor and privilege to welcome the captain himself, number five, David Wright, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me. What an opening. Uh, Listen, you know, having been able to cover your career and you've been so kind in you know your entire chapter in my latest book and, and it's really a thrill to have you here for sure so you know it's very interesting because every single Met fan knows that you grew up a Met fan because of how close you lived to the then class AAA Norfolk Tides uh, your stadium, the stadium was 10 minutes away from your home but people may not know that the first Major League Baseball game you attended was a Yankee game versus the Orioles and that your idol growing up was Cal Ripken Jr. So this was a big thing for you. What was it about Cal that made him your idol as a kid? Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, during the break, uh, Hojo kind of <laughs> came back on and, and I saw the, the intro that, or just heard the intro that Hojo did. And, you know, he's one of the the, the, the biggest, for me, mentors. You're talking about 30-30 and, you know, being able to, you know, play good defense, steal some bases, hit some home runs. And, um, you know, those, those 80s and 90s Mets, um, you know, Hojo was my guy. So I had to get that. I brought a big smile to my face when I, when I heard Hojo's voice, but yeah, um, you know, growing up in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, uh, the Virginia beach, Chesapeake area, my father would try to take us, um, on a trip to then, you know, a brand new Camden Yards, uh, up to Baltimore once a summer. And, you know, I remember we were so lucky. We, we, we bought tickets and the Yankees were in town and we had upper deck seats. And, um, I think it rained the night before. So we got to see, uh, you know, a single admission double header that day. So I got to sit there and watch two games. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, I was a bigger shortstop, um, growing up and Cal Ripken Jr. was a bigger shortstop. And, um, you know, I used to see him sign autographs and inter- interact with the fans before the games and after the games. And I just, I just loved him. And I tried to emulate him and, and be like Cal and, um, you know, still to this day, the you know, first chance I got to, to, to meet him was, I think my first all-star game. 
and just shaking his hand, I was, you know, I kind of fanned out a little bit and, uh, you know, couldn't get the words out that I wanted to say. And, uh, you know, just pretty good memories. <laughs> so one name baseball fans might not be familiar with is Marvin Towney Townsend, whose love of baseball is one of the reasons you and several others made it to the big leagues. In 1992, he launched the area's first AAU baseball program, which came to be called the Virginia Blasters after Townsend's adult league team. Uh, he needed an opponent, so he persuaded his friend Gary Wright to launch a rival program, the Tidewater Drillers. From 97 through 2005, those two AAU programs produced five first-round draft picks. What did you learn from playing on the Blasters alongside future Major League Baseball players Michael Kadire, BJ and Justin Upton, and Mark Reynolds? Yeah, it was, uh, it was Tony Townsend and um, the coach that I had for the majority of my my uh, amateur years, a uh, man by the name of Alan Irby and Ron Smith, um, who taught me things that I remember sending the email. Um, my first uh, um, professional season in Kingsport, Tennessee, and then after that, my first instructional league, and then my first spring training the, the following spring. I remember sending them an email and just thanking them for the details that they taught me as a young player. We went over bunt defenses as a professional and I've been doing bunt defenses since I was 10 years old with these coaches. And, and because they had played a little professional ball, they, they knew the ins and outs. And, you know, I remember a lot of the kids that I was in pro ball with were learning these things for the first time. And I had been doing this since I was 10 years old. So I remember sending them an email and just thanking them for going over the, 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 the nuances, the ins and outs of the games that a lot of guys were learning for the first time as professionals at 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And, you know, that's the kind of program that they ran was we didn't touch a bat until we did our defensive drills. We did our team defensive drills. And, and that's very similar to what goes on in spring training when you break down and do your, your defensive drills before batting practice and getting into the fun stuff. You know, you're drafted by the Mets in the 2001 Major League Baseball draft during the supplemental round, and, and we can thank you know, Mike Hampton moving on as a free agent. We got you know the, the compensation. But Mets fans can also thank former Met Randy Milligan as he was the Mets area scout. What was your reaction to being drafted by the team you were a fan of growing up? Well, well uh, you know, I remember Randy coming in the house, and you know we grew up going to Norfolk Tides games, and Randy Moose Milligan was it was a huge name uh, for the AAA Norfolk Tides, and I can remember going with my family to um, to Old Met Park and screaming in the stands, Moose, every time Randy Milligan would come up, and for him to walk kind of through the door and 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 you know ask me questions about pro ball and ask if you know I'd be interested in in, in skipping college and and being drafted by you know, a team, him obviously representing the Mets and, and, and starting my professional career. It was one of those pinch me moments where, um, you know, Moose Milligan was really in our house and, and we, he was talking to me about, you know, becoming a, a New York Met. So, um, you know, really cool to, to go through that process. Um, my high school was, was so great as a senior, I got a chance to get out of school a little bit early and it, it worked out well because our uh, high school games were right after the, the the school day. So me getting out early, I was able to meet some of the scouts or college coaches out on the field and take a little batting practice and take a little infield for them to to kind of see me and get a good grade on me before the actual game started. So, um, you know, I knew the Mets were interested, but I didn't think they were very interested because I didn't see them much after kind of the first uh, second interaction, the the scouting director, uh, Gary LaRock, who I still keep in touch with today. Um, the first time I noticed him was he was sitting like in the football stands, like way he wanted to see how I carried myself, not thinking that I, 
that he, I didn't know that, that he was there, which I thought was really cool, uh, where he just wanted to kind of sit in a bird's eye view and kind of see how I carried myself, how I interacted with my teammates, how I you know, did when I failed. I think that was one of the biggest things is scouts wanted to see how I carried myself if I didn't go up there and play well. Uh, in a high school game or a, a travel ball game. And, um, you know, obviously thankful to this day and, and that the, the the Mets believed in me, drafted me, and, and uh, you know, I got a chance to spend my entire career there. You, know, you start your climb up the Mets minor league ladder. Joey Cora is your first minor league manager. You also had Ken Obergfeld and Hojo, as you mentioned, who was so instrumental. Uh, and it's also funny because – you take a look at all, all these different Met connections, obviously Randy Milligan, but your agent was also Keith Miller, a former New York Met, who actually told Hojo, take a look at this kid. Who does he remind you of? Um, so tell us a little bit about the impact that Hojo had, as well as the other coaches, on, on setting that foundation for what would be the ultimate, you becoming the captain of, of the Mets. Well, I mean, how lucky is an 18-year-old, 19-year-old third baseman in the New York Mets system to get Ken Oberfell and Howard Johnson as his coach for the majority of your minor league career? I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's luck. I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. Um, and Hojo, as I mentioned earlier, was the type of player that that I wanted to be. You know, I just didn't want to be this. Uh, this defensive liability at third base that, you know, could hit for some power, uh, hit for average, um, you know, drive some runs in, you know, and kind of move station to station to station on the base pass. I wanted to be able to steal some bases. I wanted to be able to, you know, hit some, I wanted to kind of do it all the way Hojo did. And, uh, you know, he really took me under his wing and, and obviously owe a lot, um, you know, not just what he taught me on the field, but how to carry myself and how to deal with the media and how to, make sure that you're, you're, you're doing the correct things, uh, to be a good teammate and be a good leader. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Keith Miller's name. I mean, it's, again, it's just, uh, you know, fortunate that I got a chance to, um, you know, have an agent and a friend like, like, like Millsy that, that kind of guided me along the way as well. I mean, we became so close. He, he, he married us. I mean, he, he was our officiant and, and my wife and I's wedding. So, um, you know, just to me, I, I got a great, circle of baseball people around me um at a very young age they took great care of me uh, they developed me they helped me with my game on the field but also uh you know helped me you know become an adult helped me become a, a good teammate a good leader and uh you know I, I surrounded myself with the right people so i guess what i'm trying to say it's interesting because this is a perfect lead into the next question. You mentioned Millsy and, and, and the officiant. And, and one of the things that makes baseball so great is the way players span different generations. You you might get a chance to play with a player at the end. Like for me, going to a, a Met game in, in 1973 and seeing Willie Mays, and knowing that that was my father's, one of my father's favorite players from the 1950s, now we both got to see him. Um, what the Mets did when you first signed your first contract, they fly you in to take BP with the club, and you're on the field with Mike Piazza, and you're sending your brothers to get autographs. <laughs> but that's not even the best part of the day for me. The best part of that day is if you could possibly remember who threw batting practice to you and how that ends up coming full circle to your final game at City Field as a Met. It's actually good because, um, yeah, I mean, that was a great uh, segue from Millsy to, to the next question. So nice, nice job with that. But um, so I get up there. I'm a young kid. And I'll, I'll, you know, if I get long winded, cut me off. Uh, you know, my brother's comments our first time in New York. I'm 18 years old. My brothers are younger than me. Um, you know, and I didn't want to be like that 
that that nerdy guy that like asked Mike Piazza these guys for an autograph. So I got like four baseballs, one for me, three and one for each of my brothers, and had them go around on the field and ask for autographs. You know, while we were stretching and stuff, and you know, I pretended like I didn't know my brothers. I was like, yeah, 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 you know, just just sign the balls. But um, yeah, Dave Racanello, who's still there, uh, might be one of the longest tenured, if not the longest tenured, bullpen catcher. Uh, in baseball, um, you know, through batting practice to me, um, and talk about coming full circle. He became, um, you know, one of my best friends we lived together in New York for probably seven or eight years before my, my wife kicked him out. And, um, he was the best man at my wedding. So, and I made it a point my last game, uh, you know, at city field that I wanted to play catch, uh, warming up with rack, uh, before the game. So, um, you know, what, what a full circle story is, is the, the guy, the young bullpen catcher, uh, throwing me my first round of batting practice at, at Shea stadium and, and getting a chance to play catch with them. Uh, my last game at City field. It's actually funny because I have, I have to send it to you. I have tons of pictures from being on the field that day of you and rack having that catch. I have to actually send that to you. Um, you know, Met fans crucify this guy. Uh, A's fans crucify this guy. But say what you will about Art Howe. But Art Howe saw something in you when you were 21 about your leadership qualities. Do you remember a conversation you had with Art in your rookie year after he found out he wasn't returning the next year? And what impact those words had on you? I do. I do. Um, you know, I was a, a fairly scared, um, timid 21 year old when I got caught up to a, a clubhouse full of veterans, not just veterans, but, um, soon to be hall of famers, um, perennial all-stars, you know, so I just wanted to soak up as much as I could, you know, so coming into the clubhouse, you know, I, I, I listened 10 times as much as I talked and I just wanted to be around these guys, see how they carried themselves, how they acted on the field and the way that they welcomed me, I think made me feel a lot more comfortable in my shoes and allowed me to have some success on the field. Um, you know, when I first got called up, I was hitting seventh, uh, eighth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the lineup on a nightly basis. I played well, I slowly moved up. And I remember towards the end of the year, Art called me in the office, which was, I mean, he, he, he taught me, he, he tutored me, but very rarely did he call me in the office. So I was like, man, what did I do? You know, I must be in trouble. must've done something stupid. He calls me in the office and he, he says, look, um, I foresee you being an anchor in the middle of this lineup for the you know, for the foreseeable future. But one of what I want to talk to you about is I see leadership qualities in you. Um, and I know you're one of the youngest guys here. Um, and I know you're not the most vocal person, but I want you to start practicing leading by example. You don't have to say anything, but you know, the way you carry yourself, people, people look at that, people watch and people will follow that. And I remember that, that conversation being so meaningful because again, you're a 21 year old kid with some future hall of famers, in the clubhouse and, and to have the manager that's been around for as long as art was to, to, to have that conversation with you and have that, that belief that you could be a, a leader type in that clubhouse. It meant the world to me and it gave me confidence going into the next season. Even if art wasn't returning that, that this man thought that I could be this type of leader, uh, it definitely gave me a, a boost of confidence. Yeah, kudos to Art for seeing that at such a young age. Your first years in the majors, the Mets go from fourth to third to first. You get your first taste of postseason in 2006. Little did you know it would take another nine years to get back and then finally make it to World Series. How did those two postseasons differ from a 23-year-old's point of view to a 32-year-old? Well, the first time you think you're invincible, both physically <laughs> and that you're going to get to the playoffs every year. You know, I think uh, as a young kid um, – you know, we thought that we were going to be, 
you know, kings of baseball every year. You know, the way that we, uh, the core that we had, the the the, the group that we had that year, and, and the, just the dominance that we had in, in, you know, not just the NL East, but the National League going into the playoffs. Um, you know, we had this swagger and this cockiness about us um, that, you know, it was like, okay, you know, it, it obviously stunk. Um, you know, coming a couple runs short of going into the World Series, but you know, it was like, okay, we didn't get him this year, but we're going to be back next year. Um, you know, we're going to be back every year. Was kind of our attitude, and so I don't think I appreciated as much. You know, I guess fast forward nine years, and and you get another taste of postseason baseball, and I really cherished it. And you know, I certainly wasn't invincible at that. Point. I was more broken down, and understood you know, how difficult it is to, to, to make the playoffs in baseball, um, to be able to not only put up 162 game season, um, a successful 162 game season together, but, you know, to get hot at the right time in the playoffs. And I think that, you know, that was kind of the biggest thing. Um, the difference between the two teams, other than, you know, I think that the, the 06 team was certainly built more around offense and the, the 15 team more that young, uh, those young stud pitchers. But, um, you know, it's just in, in 15, we got hot at the right time and that carried us into the playoffs. Um, you know, 06, you know, we had a, a great team. It's just, we kind of got a little cold, I guess, at the, at the wrong time. So, um, you know, two different types of, of playoffs, um, two that, you know, to this day are some of the greatest memories that I've had on a baseball field. Um, I just wish there would have been a few more in between the two. <laughs> Along with that 2006 playoff experience, you're voted to your first Major League Baseball All-Star game as a starting third baseman. You participated in the 2006 Home Run Derby, reaching the final round, but finishing second to Ryan Howard. Um, he hit 22 home runs in that contest, including 16. You hit 22, I mean, including 16 in that first round, the third highest total in any one round in the history of the Home Run Derby. The following night, you had a home run in your first All-Star game at bat. Um, and it seems you always had the knack to rise to the occasion. What was that All-Star experience like, especially like you mentioned before, getting to shake Cal Ripken's hand as like a fanboy at that point? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I remember Johnny Bench coming up and tapping me on the shoulder that, that, that night. And it was just like, what? somebody pinch me. You know, like, what, what's happening right now? Um, you know, and just to, to look around the National League and, you know, to – see the great third baseman and for you to be out there standing, starting the all-star game, um, you know, over, uh, some first ballot hall, hall of famers, some, some, you know, certain hall of famers that are playing third base in the national league. It was again, one of those kind of pinch me moments where, you know, at, at least I didn't look too dorky because you're allowed to get autographs at the all-star game. It wasn't like when I was 18 years old asking Mike Piazza for an autograph, I was actually an all-star asking other all-stars for autographs. So, you know, I made certain to uh, make the most of that opportunity to, you know, for the guys to sign my jersey and sign my bat, and, um, you know, try to soak it in as much as possible because you're sitting in a room and it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, I collected this guy's baseball cards growing up as a kid. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I tried to emulate the way that this guy swings the bat, you know, as a kid. And it's just like looking around the room and it's like one after another of. Uh, just these these incredible players that you grew up idolizing, and um, you know it's pretty cool experience. And and obviously glad I got a chance to you know eat some lunch and play some baseball with uh, you know some of my favorite players. Uh, even when I got to the big leagues, getting a chance to to hang around them and get to know them more on a personal level. 
And if I'm correct, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, listen, I, I, a lot of things blur, but I believe Joey Cora might have been the American League third base coach in that All Star game too. So another one of those full circle moments too. That that's what makes baseball so great. There's all these connections throughout. The following season, you become the t- only the 29th player in baseball history to join the 30-30 club after hitting a seventh-inning solo home run against the, the Phillies at Shea. Um, only third player to reach the milestone before your 25th birthday. Only the third Met to reach that. And again, like that really cool symmetry because the guy who really pushed you to do that is the guy that you know also did it as a Met and Howard Johnson. When, you know, when Hojo pushed you for that, what you know? What were your first thoughts like when Hojo said, "Listen, I think you can do thirty thirty. What what was your reaction to him? I was like, you know, let's do this. You know, I, was, I always enjoyed running, but you know, I think that I had to be smart about it because I couldn't go out there and you know, I couldn't be Jose Reyes. Where a couple things, I couldn't steal bases, you know, solely based on speed because I didn't have it. Um, so I had to be tricky with it. I had to pick my situations. I, you know, had to know the counts, know the pitchers, know the catchers, things like that. I also couldn't go out there and risk, um, you know, having a, 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 you know, a 65, 70% success rate for me to steal bases and be productive and successful at doing them. I had to steal them at a higher clip to, to make it, you know, a better play throughout the course of the game. So, um, you know, I knew that if I was going to steal bases, not only would I have to work on my jumps and speed stuff and, you know, understanding, situations to run you know but but i had to be successful at doing it because you can't just keep running for the sake of getting 30 30, you can't you know you can't go 30 for for you know you can't get thrown out you can't get thrown out 30 times and steal 30 bases and be like oh man i had 30 because you know that's terrible so um you know so we worked on it um i was excited about it i was a little hesitant at first until I got off to a good start. I started stealing, stealing some bases at a good clip and he just urged me to, to, to start running more, you know, and, and fortunately for the most part, I had a green light so I could pick and choose my spots when I wanted to go. Um, but I really did a lot of homework into, you know, how to steal bases with, you know, average speed. And, um, yeah, I took a lot of pride in that. So as your career wore on, the injuries start to take its toll. 2006, as a result of spinal stenosis, you had to complete an extensive pregame workout routine consisting of physical therapy, exercise, minimal batting and fielding drills. The entire process took about four to five hours. And I remember speaking to, at the time, a 23-year-old Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto, uh, what they took from what you were doing in your routine. And they both said that it just showed to them what a real work ethic is like and to enjoy every single minute they have in the game. When you see the way those two approach the game, knowing that you were their role model, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, I'd like to think that I taught Brandon Nemo how to smile, but you know, I met him when he was 18 years old and he was doing plenty of smiling. Then. <laughs> so, um, you know, and the same goes with, with Michael Conforto, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool for me. It, it's, it's funny how, you know, these different eras turn over and I was fortunate enough to be there for so long where, you know, I was a young guy at some point and then, you know, slowly became, you know, uh, what I hope others would consider, you know, a leader type in the clubhouse. And now seeing these young kids that, you know, I remember I, I, you know, when I played, I used to call, you know, a lot of our draft picks after they were drafted and welcome them to the organization. And a lot of these kids are, you know, 17, 18 years old. If you're out of college, maybe 20, 21 years old. And talking to them on the phone, 
and then you know kind of seeing them in their in person make their major league debut and in those two cases brandon nimmo and and um michael conforto now becoming leaders in their own right in that clubhouse and um you know more of the veteran type player and um you know i really enjoy uh you know being around them and seeing the way they carry themselves now compared to when they were you know scared 18 year olds like i was so it's uh you know it's, it's really cool seeing you know the page turn and seeing you know other guys especially guys that i know and respect that are kind of taking over as, as leaders in that clubhouse so given all it took for you just to play in 2016 you miss all of 2017 Yet instead of retiring, you continue to work and you vow to play again. September 13th, the Mets announced that you will be activated from the disabled list for the Mets' last homestand of the season, and you're going to start the September 29th game against the Marlins, your last appearance before retirement. So the question is, why was it so important to you to play that one more game, and was it worth all the work it took to get to that one game? Well, certainly worth all the work. I wish there could have been more games, um, you know, but physically I just couldn't do it. And I think it took a while for my body was telling me that I couldn't do it, but my mind always told me that I could do it. And I think that it's a powerful thing how your mind controls things. And no matter how badly I hurt or no matter how much of a struggle it was to try to prepare to play or even playing, uh, how much of a, a physical toll it was, your mind always told you that, Hey, you can do this, stick with this. And it took a while for me, for my body and my mind to kind of match up where was, where I exhausted every possibility of rehab and surgery and, you know, do this, do that to try to get back on the field where just nothing was working. And for the first time in my life, baseball was more of trying to get through the game and not get hurt and hopefully being able to, you know, tie my shoe the next morning, then actually going out there and enjoying the game that I, that I loved playing since I was four or five years old. And, you know, to me, I, you know, I put my head on my pillow at night and, and, and know that I did everything possible to try to, to try to come back. So it was important for me, I think that final night, and I'll forever be grateful to the Mets for giving me that opportunity because I'm sure, you know, that wasn't an easy ask, um, you know, but the, the, the love that I received from the organization and the fans and the city, um, you know, it seems like it was yesterday and it meant the world to me. And, and I just wanted to say thank you as well for all the support that I received over the years. You know, the fans in the city saw a lot of errors. You know, you mentioned a lot of the, the, the good records that I have. Well, I have a lot of the bad records as well, like strikeouts and probably errors and things like that. So, you know, the way that they had me had my back and welcomed a, a 21 year old kid at the time and, and, you know, kind of allowed me to become an honorary New Yorker, which isn't easy. Um, you know, really meant the world to me. And I think that's why I got so emotional. I'm not an emotional person, but, um, you know, being able to have that night to, to say goodbye and to say, thank you, um, really meant a lot to me. And, you know, again, uh, you know, one of my pictures that I have hung, uh, in my house is, is walking off the field for the last time and, and, and seeing the appreciation that I had have for the fans and seeing that reciprocated in the fans faces. It, it was a, it was a relationship that I never took for granted, uh, me and the city and me and the fans and something that obviously I'll forever be grateful for. 
I, I left the negative records out on purpose, David. You didn't have to yeah. bring them up. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I remember that day, and, and I remember covering it. And I remember, you know, being on the field and, and just even the Marlins coming over to you and every single person, you know, it was just such an emotional night. And, and other than the, the foul pop-up, you know, we, everyone felt that you were going to hit a home run. But in, in the course of your career, I mean, I, I know you mentioned, you know, being able to share that with your family w- was so special. But in, in the course of your entire career, where does that one particular game stand I, I, as far as, you know, memories for you? Well, I mean, it's it's memorable for a different reason for me. You know, it's, you know, a, a lot of the greatest memories that I have, um, you know, kind of are around you know success on the field both individually and as a team but as far as the interaction with the fans in the city you know that's that's right up there um you know selfishly because of what we talked about before the relationship that i had with this organization the relationship that i have with the city and the fans you know it was was, you know it was special for me you know a lot of players say and it's the truth that you want to be able to write your final chapter, that you want to go out on your own terms. And, you know, I didn't get that opportunity, but I got a little taste of that with, mm-hmm. with that final game. And, um, you know, again, not the way that I would have um, written my final chapter, but, you know, getting that opportunity is a lot more than, than, than most get. And, you know, for the fans to turn out the way they did, and, I, you know, I mentioned it. You know, there were fans waiting at, at noon when I got there to start my routine, you know, and, and they kept saying, thank you. And thank you. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm confused because you know, I wanted to be the one thanking them uh, for having my back and supporting me the way that 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 fan base in the city did. Looking ahead to 2021, given that you played or were around 11 of the players who could be on this Met roster this season, what are you expecting from this year's version of the Mets? And how much would you have liked to be? in this lineup and as great as Jose Reyes was at short, how would you like to be playing next to Francisco Lindor? Well, I can't complain about my shortstop companion because <laughs> he was one of the, he was one of the best in the game. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, Francisco seems like obviously a, a, a generational type talent, uh, but we had a generational type talent at short as well. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be fun. Um, you know, the roster has changed over so much and, um, you know, how deep this roster is, um, you know, I think it's going to be something that, that is, is very important. I think that people often underestimate the importance of depth and, you know, it seems like we have it. Um, you know, you look at our frontline guys and, and obviously we can, you know, compare, uh, you know, we, we, we can, we can put up our frontline guys, um, against anybody's in baseball. Um, you know, both pitching and offensively, but, um, you know, I think, um, we're going to really make a mark, I think on our depth, you know, hopefully we don't have any injuries, but injuries are part of the game. And I think, um, you know, having that, that depth and, and, you know, the way that, uh, this roster is going to be constructed, you know, uh, hopefully a lot of success and, and should be a lot of fun to watch. Lastly, your amazing career is chronicled in a great new book, The Captain, a memoir written by you and Anthony DeComo. What was the experience of getting your career on paper, and what would you like readers to get out of the book? You know, I think when when Anthony approached me to write the book, you know, I was very hesitant. I'm, I'm a private person. Um, you know, I never thought I'd be one to, to, to write a book. Um, you know, what I did tell Anthony was that um, – 
you know, my experience is playing baseball for a living. Uh, we're extremely positive. So it's going to be a positive story. Um, it's going to be hopefully a story that, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, that you set these lofty goals, you try to obtain them, and there's going to be obstacles in your way, and it's overcoming adversity. And, um, you know, that's what I kind of wanted the bottom line to be. And I wanted something that I would be proud of, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15 years down the road where I can hand my kids the book and say, hey, um, your dad wasn't this dorky dad after all. You know, there, there, there was a couple of times where I did some pretty cool things on the baseball field. Um, but also we'll teach them the importance of hard work, having that blue collar mentality, um, you know, setting goals. And, you know, even if, you know, you hit some speed bumps along the way, you know, do everything you can to try to obtain those goals. Um, and when it's all said and done, you gave it your, your, your all, you gave it your best effort and, you know, and, and that's that, but don't let anybody tell you you can't do something and don't allow yourself to think you can't do something because um if you believe it you know if you believe you can't do something you know certainly you're not going to be able to do it so you know hopefully it's a mixture of some some fun baseball stories a uh, mixture of some good life lessons at least what i think are good life lessons that that you know my dad and my coaches taught me so um it ended up being a, a very fun project i think anthony did a, a wonderful job um you know, putting it down on paper and, you know, hopefully people enjoy it. David, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for always being available game in game out. Most importantly, thanks for the way you approach the game, such determination class and and competitiveness, which is why it made you such a great player and captain. And another step further, um, people on the sh- that listen to the show know that my son do- does work for the New York Mets, and he told me a story about like you know, and the same thing right now for me. You know, you talked about Cal Ripken just doing this interview. The the fanboy, the the sixty one year old fanboy in me is coming <laughs> out, but just the way you talk to him set a, a, a really good example for him. So just thanks so much for being a role model um, for lots of young kids and aspiring players. And, you know, as a coach of a travel team, you were just the guy that, you know, we would point to and say, that's the way you, you hold yourself up. And thanks so much again for, for always giving your time. We really appreciate it. Well, much appreciated. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun talking a little baseball. And, um, you know, thanks again. I appreciate the kind words. It means a lot. Be good, David, and best to your family. Thanks a lot. You got it. The one and only, the captain, David.